You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. All right. I'm going to introduce you to a couple of characters this morning. Some not real, some biblical, and some in this church. And we're going to talk about them as we continue our Christmas movie Advent series. But first, I want to show you a little clip from the movie we're exploring today. Enjoy. Fantastic. It's always funny doing these clips because you don't, you don't realise what I can see from up here. And every time I stop a clip, half your faces go... You're in the aircon, you're uncomfortable, you want to continue the movie. And so if you haven't seen it, what a great plan for this afternoon. It's quite a very funny movie, Deck the Halls, it's called. If you haven't seen it, totally fine. You can still follow along this morning. I just want to talk about these two guys out of this movie this morning. That's where I want to start. Stephen Finch and Buddy Hall. Uh, as you can see from the trailer, they've become neighbours. And uh, they become more and more competitive with each other. It escalates in a comedic way. From lights to carnival games to skiing. They have a snow race at some point on skis. And then they start, um, they even start competing around their caroling at some point. This competitive nature starts to actually unravel their whole Christmas though. And, and we've been talking about this over this season, what we've called the unholy Advent themes. And I've got them up here. I've changed one, but there's still start with C. So alliteration is there. Complaining, comparing, consuming, and criticism. The normal Advent themes which we're looking at is hope, peace, love, and joy. But as we look at the world and what they're preaching this Advent season, I see a lot of this complaining which we talked about last is kind of the the kryptonite to hope comparing which we're going to look at today consuming next week and criticism after that but they're kind of doing all four in this movie the unholy advent season complaining about things comparing that's not fair consuming and criticism Four things we see in modern culture that I believe we're preached at through every commercial, through every beep on our phone. They're preaching this at us, whether they say it explicitly or not. That's what they're doing in our heart. And comparing, and I didn't mean to be so keeping with alliteration this strong, but I've said comparing what I see also leads to these two things. Coveting and competition. We see comparing, coveting, wanting what someone else has got and competing with them. It's not a healthy road to walk on. It's not a healthy practice, this Advent season. And in this movie, we see these two guys, Buddy and Steve, compete and compete and compete. And it actually ends up almost destroying both their families. Almost their their literal life, which we're going to see in a moment. It escalates. This competition, this coveting, this comparing, what we may think is harmless, grows. And I've called it, it, ultimately what it does, it disturbs the peace. It disturbs the peace for both their families that Christmas. 
And sometimes the word peace it does, doesn't sound strong enough, but that's because I think in the West we water it down, this word peace. It's used a heap in the Bible. We're going to look at some of that in a moment. But we kind of water it down, this word peace, to how strong it actually means. Or we underestimate it. The Bible talks about it a lot. I think when we think of peace here in the comfortable West is we think of the kids being quiet at night. Finally, some peace. Or we water it down to a Kit Kat. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, a 10-minute break at work. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. I've, Kit Kat. I've finally got peace. We're kind of spoiled, aren't we, that that's what we've, we think peace is in our, um, in our country. We're blessed if that's peace to us. Because I don't know about you, but I'm constantly shocked. And I think our world was shocked. We know what's going on over in the Middle East at the moment. But before that, with Russia, Ukraine, we were shocked as we looked at our phones and saw bombs hitting buildings and people that looked like us, buildings that looked like our buildings, on our phones. I actually don't know if we know what to do about it because we're that distant from real war. And it's kind of like, it is, it's not entertainment, of course, but we do move on. No one's talking about Russia and Ukraine at the moment. Do you know they're still fighting? <laughs> We've moved on to the next thing the news is telling us to move on to. We can't help but just watch. We're so distant. It's horrible. But we really don't understand. I don't, at least I'll talk about me. I don't quite understand. I pray for them. Pray for those hostages. Pray for those whose lives have been damaged or killed. But I'm so distant from it. In a, live in a world where peace is have a Kit Kat and a tea. I'm also grateful that I live in that season of this world. It's hard to believe. In the Bible, peace means a whole lot more though. It's a whole, whole lot deeper than what we put it out to. We often think peace is just a lack of, the lack of noise, the lack of busyness, the lack of war. In the Bible, peace is so much more deeper. It actually doesn't just mean the lack of, it means the presence of something else. In the Old Testament, there's a word for it. It's shalom. It's up here. Shalom. That's what the Old Testament word for peace is. It's active. I was hoping, I don't think Graham's here today, Nicole. But he's been getting me every Thursday and he's been, oh, he's been learning Hebrew and I've been attempting to watch him learn Hebrew. Um, and so I was going to get him to read it out today but that's all right. So shalom, this ancient Hebrew word, so much more powerful than how we use peace today. It actually means completeness, wholeness. They would say when they'd finished a wall, they'd go, it's shalom. It's without bricks missing. It's without holes in it. It's without cracks. It's complete. It's whole. It's a shalom house. It's complete it's whole, much more powerful than sometimes we use the word peace. In the New Testament, it's, it's a word, Irene or Rene. Is that right, Steve? Rene, fantastic. I'm going to stick to Shalom today, though. <laughs> but they also referring to this completion and wholeness and peace. Shalom. 
Like hope last week, though, it's not just a nice thought. It's something that's active and powerful and moving and that we can practice. In fact, we're told to be peacemakers. Peace, shalom, completeness, fullness. In the movie, and I'll go back to those characters for a second. In the movie, you get to know these guys. And we see that they don't bring shalom. (laughs) They bring chaos. Their competition, their competitiveness, their complaining, their coveting, their competing brings chaos, does not bring fullness. And as we get to know them, do you know what's interesting? We actually get to see beneath the surface. Because at first, Steve Finch is this lovely community member you meet. He loves, he's an optometrist, he loves his family, he loves his neighbourhood. As he walks down the street, everyone says hello on the surface. He looks like a really great guy, but deep down, we find out he has control issues. Deep underneath what he puts out, we find out he's an army kid that's been moved from place to place. He moved from town to town. His daughter is growing up too fast and he can't handle that. He can't control her. And he has to control Christmas. It's the one thing he's been always good at, so he leans into control. And it spirals to the point of competition when his neighbour starts to do Christmas better, seemingly. Tries to win at everything, tries to win at Christmas. It takes him to some really dark places. And his family actually leave him Christmas Eve to stay at a hotel. He is a man that is not at peace. Underneath, he does not have shalom. Then there's Buddy. That's the Danny DeVito character. He has big dreams. At first, he looks awesome. He does all this awesome stuff. He gets a new job in the area as a car salesman, and he sells a car to the owner of the car lot. And the car owner comes in. I don't know. I just bought one of my own cars at cost, at price, sorry. He's amazing. You think, wow, who's this guy? But he's not happy with that. He's not happy with their home. He's not happy with just being a salesman. He wants to do something bigger. When his daughters look online at like a Google Maps equivalent and notice his house can't be seen from space, he can't believe it. He wants to be seen. He wants to be known. So he puts enough Christmas lights to try to be seen from space. He gets his family into debt. He sells his wife's family heirloom to buy more lights, to buy a control panel. Yes, it's funny, but there's something deep there as well. This man is not at peace. I want to give another example, and it comes straight from the Bible. This is an actual person that we see in the Christmas story. Turn your Bibles if you've got them, or turn your eyes up here to Matthew 2. Let's have a look. This is as Jesus was born, kids. This is one, another character from the Christmas story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star where it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi, if you don't know what we refer to as the wise men, they've come to King Herod and said, you're the king. You're the supposed king of the Jews. Do you know that there's this baby that's been born and we're pretty sure it's the Messiah? We've come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah, where the Messiah was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for all of you will come to a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so they may go worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. So he said, bring him in. Tell me where this baby is. I would love to worship this baby. That's what he tells the wise men, the magi. They went on their way and the star scene when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child was with his mother. Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. They then opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, he said, take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the law had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Last part, that's it. When Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the same, with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to the dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and mother and go back to the land of Israel. King Herod's a real historical person. We've got records. And King Herod is actually known for a couple of things. He's actually known for being quite the project manager. He built massive buildings. He's accredited to some cities he helped construct. He even helped build the temple. He helped build multiple things. He was known for putting his name on everything. It was a tough position for King Herod because he had Roman oppression. So he wasn't really the king, as in the sense he had to check everything with Rome. And then on top of that, the Jews didn't really like him because he wasn't quite a Jew. So he gave himself the title King of the Jews. He gave himself the title, but he wasn't really a king. He's more like mayor of the Jews. He, wasn't, he had to report to Rome. And so he had a complex. This was a man that was not at peace. He did not have shalom, no matter how many buildings he built, no matter how many titles he gave himself. He was not at peace. And so when the Magi came to him and they talk about Christ being born, can you imagine if he did what the kings were asked to do in the Bible? 
We've got prophecies constantly talking about kings that will bring peace. The job of the king of the kingdom of God was to bring peace. So he could have been the man that brought the Messiah in. Imagine how different it could have been for King Herod. He could have gone and worshipped. What's he do? Well, he is not complete. He is not of shalom. And so what he does is his ego, his brokenness, he tries to kill all competition, including children. In Isaiah 9, I've got even an example of one of these prophecies. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7 says this, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There are so many prophecies about kings who bring peace. This, thousands of years before, was about Jesus. But King Herod could have been one of these kings. Not the king, but one of these kings that helped facilitate peace. But he was not complete. These three men, Steve, Buddy, Herod, are all not complete. Are all deeply broken, have no inner peace. So often we love to cover up our emotions. Our feelings, our insecurities, our jealousy, our envy, our lust, our greed, our coveting, our comparison, don't we? So much easier sometimes to push this stuff down and chuck up some Christmas lights. <laughs> Whether that's physically <laughs> or emotionally. So much easier to come into church and go, that stuff doesn't matter. I've secretly, you might be thinking, I've secretly got a bit of a lust problem. I've secretly got a bit of an addiction or I'm secretly really jealous of this person or I'm envy of this person or hateful for this person or I can't forgive this person. Best not to think about it. Put on your Sunday best and come into church. Push it down. These three men did that. This local neighbourhood hero, Steve, pushed it all down. But underneath, he was not complete. This incredible salesman, entrepreneur type who had enough, had a family, a beautiful family, pushed it down because he wanted more. And Herod, could have been an absolute legend, is now the villain of the Christmas story because he didn't deal with what was going underneath. He wasn't at shalom. He was not at completeness. He was not at peace. I wonder how that feels for you this Christmas. Rising interest rates, half the world at war, so much distraction. I wonder how many of us are sitting here today and pushing that down, going, because do you know the lie, kind of the trick we tell ourselves, at least I do, it's not that important, it doesn't really matter. Yes, I feel a bit of jealousy for this person. What's the harm? What's the harm in that? I'm still a good person. I'm still doing all this stuff. I'm still putting up Christmas lights. I'm still doing this. I'm still doing stuff for the community. Christians are great at this because we go, I'm still doing Christian things. God, I'm still serving you. What's the harm in this? Well, this movie and the Bible tell us what the harm in this is this morning because it escalates. I've got one more clip I want to show you from Steve and his roof a clip that shows us how these things escalate. What started as a bit of neighbourhood competition turns into this. Let's have a look. Thanks, Aidan. 
I love that last comment, his deflection. He's nearly killed his wife and he goes, have you been watering that? That went up super fast, like as if everything else wasn't his fault. She just hadn't been watering the plant. I find that funny anyway. Um, his, I know it's comedic. I know it's silly and it's a Christmas movie, but his actions escalate to the point he just wants to, he's justified, I'm going to put some fireworks and make noise for my neighbours. I'll show you noise. And it ends up backfiring, going, you saw it. It ends up blowing his life up. And I know it's done in a comedic Christmas movie way, but there's a principle under this. What he has pushed down, his lack of shalom escalates, and it does for us too. What a profound parable. A somewhat normal person is so conflicted by his inner turmoil, so broken that he attempted to blow up and disturb his neighbor's lights. Comes back at him and he blows his home up and starts to blow his marriage up. It reminds me of the Jesus passage where he talks to this guy about cutting, poking out his own eye to cut out the sin or he'd be risking the fires of hell. So often Christians, we just condense that down to a get your ticket to heaven sermon. But it's so much deeper than that. He's saying to this guy, hey, you're starting to flirt with that person at work. You think it's nothing. Your own insecurity is making you feel good. And then now you've thrown a bomb into your marriage. Better to cut your eye out than to let that grow. Or your insecurities, your competition, your workaholicism, trying to make a name for yourself, trying to grow, that you forget your family completely and you end up throwing a bomb into that. Or your comparison means you can never forgive and so the Christmas, your Christmas dinners are just constant tension because you can't let stuff go. You can't not control the situation. So you throw a bomb in the whole thing, it escalates. This stuff isn't small stuff. That's why Jesus says, and we're all sinners. This is not pointed at anyone. We're all sinners. He's saying, cut the eye out now. Cut this out now. Otherwise, your life, you're going to burn down your life. Yes, eternally. Yes, Jesus is talking about an eternal hell. But he's also talking about this escalation of sin, this escalation that comes with complaining, comes with criticism, comes with comparing, competition, coveting and consumerism. It builds, it grows. Your inner peace is not just something you can squash down. So this Advent, we've already explored practicing hope. For all of us, and I know me, all who are sinners, we can practice peace. And how do we do that? Well, I've got just two encouragements this morning. Number one is to find inner shalom and peace. I was going to have two points here. I was going to say make peace with yourself and make peace with God. But I've combined them because as Christians and as a Christian to follow Jesus, I believe they're the same thing. You can't reach below and no matter how big your Christmas lights are and find peace, you need to reach out to the one who brings it. You will not be able to do it by yourself. You can't. People have tried for thousands of years. All types of... The- like They've tried meditation, medicine, drugs. They've tried. 
If you found something, church, if you're sitting here going, I found something else besides Jesus that's brought me holistic completeness and peace in the face of my sin and destruction, then please come and tell me after the service. I would like to hear about it. I guarantee you won't. People have tried. They can't meditate themselves out of this. I'm not saying some of that stuff's bad, but it's not going to find your absolute completeness. You can't meditate or medicate out of this hole. You can't walk on the beach enough to fill that void. (laughs) It's only Jesus. No matter how many candles you light, I said, no matter how many essential oils you bathe in, you might feel distracted, you might feel relaxed, but you will not feel complete. You will not be complete. That is the good news. Amen. We're all sinners. Here's some good news. We're all broken. I'm going to say, bold statement, but you know me by now, including myself, I'd say 90% of us, if not all of us, have pushing stuff down this Christmas. We're all in the same boat, but there's good news. Here's some good news. Luke 2.14 says, At the birth of Jesus, angels declared. What did they declare? Glory to God in the highest of heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favour rests. Shalom, completeness. Jesus himself said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. He goes, I'm not giving you a Kit Kat. I'm not giving you a free spa day. They're relaxing. They're awesome. I'm giving you completeness. I'm giving you shalom. That means you will be okay. You can rest in this. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. For God who is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians 1, 19, 20. What we remembered in communion. He has made a way back to the Father. It is okay. You are okay. It is finished. Your identity can rest in him. And Romans 5, 1. Since, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This gap, this uncompleteness, this few bricks missing in the wall, this yearning to be someone, know someone, be better, be be noticed, this yearning to have control, this yearning to bring your own type of justice, that could only be fulfilled by on the cross. So those today that have been defined, maybe this morning you've been defined by a parent or a teacher, something they said, and you're still, maybe 60 years later, still trying to prove them wrong. You're not defined by that, you're defined by Jesus. Maybe you're trying to get justice for something that's happened to you, or maybe you got justice but even though the wrong was made right, you still don't feel complete. Know that Jesus will bring holy, cosmic, ultimate justice and he has will into the future. It's all working towards his good. You can have peace in him. For those that struggle this Christmas with order and control, do you realise you have zero control of anything? There is nothing to stop something falling out of the sky right now a plane engine and just 
there goes Burley Church. We have zero control. Even though we do safe ministry training and we have blue cards for our leaders, we, which we try to steward well, amen? It's good to steward, but you don't have control. There is only one you can give control to this Christmas. And have completeness, have shalom. For those wanting to be significant, maybe you're strong. We live in an achievement-based culture. It's no longer the boss no longer comes to you and says, if you don't do this, you're going to be fired. That's rare. He comes to you and goes, here's where you can reach. We sell achievement. We're self-motivating now because we want to achieve. And good creative work is noble and good and beautiful. But God knows your purpose. God knows why you're created. You don't have to find it out of achievement. You don't have to find it out of promotions or your bank account. That will not bring completeness. Only he will. Don't get me wrong. Working hard, working creative, working for the kingdom is good and beautiful. But you're defined by Jesus. That's a reaction. That's worship. For those who have stuffed it up this morning, For those that have really had one of those years where you just stuffed it, you thought you were launching fireworks over to the neighbours and then went one down your chimney and now your house is burning down. Funny, but all too real for people here. Maybe you've just royally stuffed it this Christmas. Maybe you've got people that won't talk to you. Maybe you've got disconnection. Maybe you've made some mistakes. This is not a sermon on judgment this morning. This is a sermon into leaning into Christ. He will bring completeness in you. He will bring fullness. He will bring shalom. Let him in. Repent. Die to these silly stories we tell ourselves. Die to the unholy advent of complaining, consuming and criticism. It's kind of being in a hole. I thought of this as I was preparing. It's kind of like being in a hole and you're trying to claw your set way out, yet Jesus is standing behind you and he's come down the ladder and he's going, hey, we can go up there together. Yet you're busy clawing your way out, making the hole worse. Turn around. Jesus has already come down and got the ladder with him. He wants to do that with you. Stop clawing at the side of the hole. Turn to him. Repent. Turn around. Let us accept the gift he brings this Christmas, the Prince of Peace. I'm going to invite someone up. Kids, you're doing so well. Judy, do you mind coming up? Can we welcome Judy, please? Thank you so much for this, Judy. Um, Judy loves public speaking, so <laughs> um, you might have seen an email from Judy. You might know Judy's journey this year, um, but can I ask? Yeah, can I ask for those that don't know or weren't a part of it? What what's been going on this year for you, Judy? It's been um, pretty tough year health wise. Um, at the end of last year, I was diagnosed with CLL, which is a type of leukemia and started treatment in January, early January, and um, up until just a few weeks ago, I was going through chemo and all the treatment necessary for that, and on the 2nd of November, 
I had the all clear and I am now in remission, which... <laughs> but all through this, I had confidence in my doctor, but I also had the assurance that God was with me. Um, he was in control and I didn't need to worry because what could I do? And all the beautiful prayers from, from you people, I just, they were just wrapped around me and I just, I just felt so loved. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, I know God is in control of my life and why should I worry? <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Judy. Um, we, we so often, we, we pray for the bad times and then stuff happens, and then you go, oh, thanks, God, <laughs> that was cool, um, and we forget to praise him. And so that's part one of why I want to get you up here. The other part is, if you've seen Judy the last few months this year, um, you wouldn't know. Um, she hasn't gone, I'm not saying that it hasn't been scary, it hasn't been hard, it hasn't been hard for the family. I'm not saying you're not allowed to feel emotions, <laughs> um, but and not, and you haven't been fake about it either, but you've just been Judy. Um, you've still been patient. And kind, and I would say you have brought shalom. Um, we keep assuming that you were better way quicker because you just were Judy. You were just doing your thing. You were serving, and you brought shalom completeness. And so I thank you for that example, Judy. Um, I thank you for what God's done this year. And uh, I wanted to just get, I thank you so much for coming up and sharing your story. Can I pray for you? Um, and just thank God for what He's done in your life and what He can do. The type of peace. This is, not a, this is not a sermon about everything works. Everything just gets better. We're talking about underneath the storm, you can know the person that holds you. You can be complete. So I'm not saying that Judy walked in here and put, like skipped into church. She doesn't normally skip into church. We didn't skip and go, welcome everybody. Like I'm, I'm feeling great. No pretending. That's not what being a Christian is about. It's deep. It's anchored in something. And so thank you, Judy. And so you're welcome to do that if you want to, but I just don't, yeah, that would all be awesome. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for Judy. We, we, we thank you for this testimony. You are good. You are good. Thank you for people like Judy that show us that in the face of some pretty tough stuff, we can hold on to you. That you are in control. We don't know why all this happens, but we can trust that in the end, you've got this. That you bring shalom. You bring inner peace. We don't reach within ourselves. We reach out to you. Thank you for what you've done in Judy's life this year. Thank you for what you've done in Judy's life, her whole life, that's brought her to this point to produce this amount of peace. And thank you for the witness she's been through these trials. And we just lift her up in this next season. And we just pray for 2024. Can be a little kinder. <laughs> can be a little less of a roller coaster. But that she continues to carry no matter what that shalom with her. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Thank you so much. I'm conscious of the time. And I'm conscious that I think this bit is the part that I think is sitting on us this morning. This is, this is the part that I think God wants us to sit on for a bit. I was going to talk about, and I will, 
just briefly, what do you think this piece does? If that destruction, if that incompleteness makes more destruction, then your peace is going to come out. You're going to worship and you're going to be a peacemaker and you'll bring peace to your family gatherings. You'll be like Judy and bring peace just by turning up. It also grows. It also escalates. It's the mustard seed. It's the kingdom. It's the growing. If Jesus is talking about the fires of hell, cut out your eye, he's saying walk in peace and bring that peace, bring that kingdom, grow. If you want to know more practically about that, we have practice guides on blessing others. There's some practical ways to bring peace this Christmas. But instead, I'm just going to stop there and just show this last verse and ask us for a moment to pray this verse in our lives. And I'm going to give an invitation while the band plays to come on down for prayer. So she's going to come up, I think. Yes. Colossians 3.15 says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. This morning, don't let peace be a nice Christmas thought. Don't let peace be a, oh, yes, you're right, I do need some me time. That's good. I'm saying let peace, let shalom rule your heart. Lean into him. He wants to pull you out. He wants to restore. He wants to redeem. That's why he came and walked amongst us and died. You were called to peace. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And then as the band plays, I'm going to ask anyone to come down for some prayer. And this Christmas, let's again, or for the first time, encounter completeness in him. Father, a semi-abrupt finish this morning. But I feel a real sense that this is where you want us to stop and this is where you want us to consider. And I love that we didn't stop on made-up characters or even a Bible character. We stopped on someone walking amongst our congregation as an example of that peace, Judy. Right now, whatever we're facing, whether we dropped a bomb in the family home whether we're disconnected from a loved one, whether we're insecure because of something someone said, whether we think we need more, we need to be seen, we need to be known, we need to be important, let us reflect on the fact that you came to fill that void. You came to complete us in you. You came to bring us back to the one that knows our purpose, the Father God. And so this morning I pray that we ask that shalom would rule our hearts, our actions, our minds, that no matter if we counter storms of our own making or storms of other people's making or storms we're not even sure who on earth made that one, but that we would be at peace, that we'd know that you are working through all things.